Go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hey. Romans chapter 9, starting with verse... Twenty-five, essentially. Romans nine twenty-five. We're gonna pick up sort of where Casey left off. We'll start reading today at twenty-two, just for getting back into the swing of things. Um, this is right after the Potter thing and uh, it was neat last week we went up to Rochester but we went back for a little walk down memory lane not, not that I had a lot of memories of it left but we went to Genesee Country Museum and uh, one of one of the living history things that they had going was the potter and she was throwing pots and I still someday I'm going to do that it just looks so cool I don't know I just want to do it like and she's explaining to the people there kind of knew what she was doing but you know taking it off and and all those things and centering it back up and sometimes the top of it gets out of fluffy and you just kind of cut that off and it's squared back up anyway all those things and it's like oh i want to do that and some of the reason i want to do it is because i want to understand better what the bible is talking about when what if the potter here the lord Wants to make things, you know, and you kind of wonder what he's doing. But <clears throat> So we're going to start at 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law, of righteousness is not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, as it were, by the words of the law, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. We'll stop there. I think I'm going to go further than that. I hope I get further than that, but we'll stop there. That's a good spot. I can catch my breath <coughs> and uh, get ready to continue on here. So let's just look to the Lord 
and his guidance as we look at this passage this morning. Father, we thank you for the great God that you are and that we see you rule over everything. You do what you desire and work everything to your purposes. And Father, we just pray that you would help us to understand and and see deeper into that this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we start here, we see uh, it's prophesied in Hosea. I'm having trouble with some of those words. And um, that the Gentiles would come in. He's part of those vessels he prepared beforehand for glory were our Gentiles. Verses 27 and 28, there, and 26, I guess, for that matter, um, are looking at, there's a remnant of Israel. And uh, it's interesting to me as you think, as I think about it, and he even says here is, is, um, 27, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. There's only a, a remnant that will be saved. And, and I was thinking of that with brought to mind. I was at the rest area. What day was I there? Thursday? Thursday or Friday? The Jews must be having some gathering up here in New York again. It happens regularly. But <clears throat> they were coming up, and I see the boys with their tasseled belts hanging out below their white shirts, you know, and, and everything, and black pants, white shirt. You know, and the women are black skirts with tan, usually it's a tan top. Not sure why. Anyway, all those things, and I'm thinking, but only a remnant. Like, there's a lot of them that come up through there. I'm surprising the numbers when they do that. How many coming up from (coughs) south of us, New Jersey, New York City, Philadelphia, all those are, they're all coming up and uh, going somewhere up there. I, I heard once, and I can't remember the name of it, but. So, but there's a remnant that will be saved. They're not all saved. Just because they're a Jew, just like because you're a Gentile now, that doesn't mean you've got a free pass into the kingdom of God. He opened it up to you, but you still have to do the accepting. And we see that as we trans- transfer into the, um, 10 here, chapter 10. If God wouldn't have done the things he's doing um, and going to cut the judgment and stuff short, Israel would be left without anybody, but he's going to shorten that time for, uh, for the remnant so that the remnant can be saved. But then <clears throat> the part that I'd really like to look at more, um, and that kind of really goes more with what Casey was sharing, um, but it, it does transition into verse 30 then. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness have obtained the righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? Yep, that's what we could say then. The Gentiles who weren't following the law, they weren't looking for God, they weren't doing any of those things on the whole. <clears throat> um, they have obtained, they, they've obtained the possibility or whatever of righteousness by faith, just like the Jews had, just like Abraham all that way back. You know, we're, we're there now, and we've obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness because they didn't seek it by faith. And 
I was thinking, <laughs> never, never engaged them in conversation, but I was thinking, you know, they, they do all these things, especially the ones that come up there, more orthodox, I guess you would say, whatever. So they're still all really trying to keep the law. I'm sure I got lots of Jews through there that I would never guess are Jews because um, they don't act any different or look any different than anybody else. But, but there were, at that point, the Jews, they were taking a little pride in the law. We have the law, and we're going we're gonna to be good with God. And the reason that that didn't work out was because they couldn't attain the law. They couldn't keep it. They couldn't follow it. Or they could follow it. They couldn't keep it well enough to get credit for it. Whatever you want to say um, that way. They didn't seek it by faith. Even, even for them, and as you look, we look back at the Bible stories and stuff, we see that, you know, different, I was going to say Abraham, but he was before the law. But these different, we see these different stories where they were saved, but it was by faith. It was through the faith that they had that God was going to deliver them. And we could look at a lot of different ones then, and a lot of times even where God delivered them, in spite of their faith, like at the Red Sea and things. But we see a lot of that. <clears throat> um, but they didn't seek it by faith, which was their problem, I guess. And, and it makes me, this is something to take home and think about, I guess. Um, since they didn't seek it by faith, the works of the law for them, they stumbled at the south. <sighs> Sorry, bit my mouth. <laughs> They stumbled at the stumbling stone, it says. Um, as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. I was thinking a little bit about it, and I didn't see any other uh, commentators or anything comment on it, but it was interesting to me that it's a, a stone, a rock of offense um, that, they, that they stumble over. Um, and, and well, Jesus is the rock in a weary land. I mean, we sing all those things, all the times that he's pointed out as a rock, as a stone. Um, and they had all these things too, but they didn't interpret it. They didn't see it in the same way. And so they stumble at the stone. But the other thing that is interesting is I thought, what was the law written on? Tablets of stone. And they stumbled at that, like... And I, and I, like I said, I didn't see it any longer, but I was enjoying for a while thinking about how does that all work out? The law was on stone, like it was on the rock. It was, you know, and they stumbled at that because they thought somehow that keeping that, they could do it well enough to make God pleased, I guess, with them. They didn't understand that all those sacrifices and everything that they were offering was really offering them by faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do and forgive their sin, well, actually cover their sin and everything like that. And so they missed a lot of what was going on. And, uh, and we'll see a little of that as we continue on. <clears throat> so they stumbled at the stone. And we could look at, well, let's look at a couple of them just because they're interesting and one's my favorite. Uh, Psalm 118. 22 should be in my list. Why? Oh, I know why it's not. 
Okay. Psalm 118. Starting with verse 22. So you'll remember these, and and I have a whole list of them here, um, but they're all essentially a lot the same. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. But this is the day. Not be like, and we could say it with just as much conviction, I guess. This is the day that the Lord's made. Let's be rejoice and be glad in it. But he's talking about the day that the builders rejected the stone, which was when they rejected Jesus. <clears throat> so they stumbled at the stone. Um, I think it's Isaiah 28, 16. You could look at that one. It's a fun one too. Yes, that's the one. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So we see this one. There's a couple of songs um, made from, from this verse here. too. But he's a precious cornerstone. And then in the New Testament, Peter is remembering that he's a precious stone. He's deemed precious. And so we see those. But they've stumbled over him. They stumbled over Christ. And uh, so they have issues that way. So let's continue on. We'll pick up at chapter 10. And uh, we'll read read through 13. I'm not sure I'm going to get that far, but we'll see. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is trying to bring bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is over all or the same Lord over all, is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're looking at that, and uh, he really goes into a big explanation as, as to how 
Israel has missed or missed the boat, how they stumbled on the stones. Um, and, and I find it interesting, verse 2, where it says, I, well, first of all, let's start there. His heart's desire is that Israel would be saved. Remember, Paul's a Jew. He was a Jew's Jew. He was on his way to big things. He probably would have been in the, he might have been, uh, there's a number that think that he was on the road to be the chief priest. But I'm not sure how that all works out for sure. But definitely in the Sanhedrin and all that stuff, he was well on his way. He was, like I said, a Jew's Jew. And, and you'll remember from that verse where he was, talks about his pedigree, where he was tribe of Benjamin born, da-da-da-da, and all, did all these things and did all those things and, and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> he was well on his way. He was the chief persecutor of the church of God. He had a zeal, as we would see there in that next verse. He had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He was there persecuting. He was, he was going to wipe it out if he could, because he was going to do that for God, because he had miss, missed it. Um, also, as you look at it a little bit, it's interesting. <clears throat> some of the teachers, like I guess he was under... Galimel, or Galo, however you say his that teacher, whatever he was. Um, but he, he had some things that were getting a little goofy, just like we run into false teachers or people that want to introduce a little bit different. He was, he was that way. And so they were getting a different kind of liberal for them. They were still keeping the law, but they had some different interpretations, and, and Paul was was on that and but he was convinced I think you'll as you look at Paul's life he was convinced he was serving God you know he was convinced he had a zeal for God definitely not according to knowledge and God fixed that right knocked him off his horse and asked him what do you think you're doing that's how I was looking I was like well one my dad always used to say get off your high horse um, I'm not sure if that came from this the story of Paul or not but you know, when I was acting a little <clears throat> whatever, he would tell me to get off my high horse. And uh, and Paul got off his high horse. He got knocked down and blinded. And and Jesus asked him, what are you doing? Like, you know. And that was enough, essentially. That was enough to say, I'm sorry, Jesus. I didn't mean to, you know. And from that point on, he's sold out to Jesus now. He's got that same zeal he had for God, only now it's for Jesus. And, and there is a difference when you think about it in your mind that way. You know, it was, he had it, things in perspective now. He realized that what he was persecuting was really of God and um, that he needed Jesus. <clears throat> and so we see that. For they, verse 3, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, hadn't submitted to the righteousness of God. They were still trying to keep the law. And how often, even though we don't have to do that, when you hear stories of people that got saved, haven't gotten saved, have a reason they didn't get saved, whatever, you know, I'm too, I mean, then you get to, I'm either too bad for God to save or I'm going to make it. I, I, you know, my, my good out is, outweighs my bad. And so God is going to, he's going to honor that. I'm hoping, and, and he's going to let me in. Um, 
And I think that's kind of summed up in those things there. They seek to establish their own righteousness and have failed to submit to God's righteousness. God's righteousness says, Jesus Christ, you need Jesus Christ. That's your righteousness by faith. You have, he has to be in the picture, not what you've done, not what you think, but Jesus Christ. And that's what it says in four, right? Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the only one. He paid the price. He satisfied the law. All of those things. So we need him. <clears throat> and, and he's got to be, he's got to be the answer. Or however you want to look at it from there. Verses five to eight are interesting, right? I mean, it's, yeah, they're interesting. They really make you think, like, what? Like, what? So Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Okay, I get that part. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will ascend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Um, I was, I, I puzzled over it. Like, that's really like, okay. But I, I think essentially, and I'm pretty satisfied with, with this thought. Um, one, this is out of Deuteronomy, okay? Paul's quoting Deuteronomy, except where we see the abyss. Who will descend into the abyss? It's, when you read it in Deuteronomy, it's the ocean. Um, for some reason, I think, by, I mean, it's kind of obvious here the way he's using it, but... Um, but he changes it from ocean to abyss. So <clears throat> essentially is my, what, the way I'm seeing it, the way I think they're meaning it, is you don't have to find your way to heaven to get into Christ's presence, to get to, get to Christ, to those kind of things. You don't have to work your way up there. And how many uh, religions out there in the world can you think of that, that that's, the progress, right? That's the process. You keep, you keep coming back or you, you have to work your way up. You know, you have to get there. And if you do bad, you go back down and, and whatnot. Um, so that won't work. Don't, go, don't try going up to heaven to bring Christ down. It's not going to... He's already come. He already came to earth as a man and he's died and, so, and he's um, satisfied the law so we're good there. And don't say in your heart, who will descend into the best? Who's going to bring him up from the dead? He already did that too. Um, so we're not going to go down there and try to bring Christ up from the dead and somehow save ourselves. He's already risen from the dead. Uh, <clears throat> but what does it say? What does the righteousness of faith say? It says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I'm going to make my screen change here. So that I can see it all at once. Okay, <clears throat> so we're we're used. To, I think we 
know that verse? Do you know that verse as a memory verse? Have you ever learned Romans 9, 9 and 10? Or 10, 9 and 10, I'm sorry. That if you confess with your mouth, you know that one by heart? Hannah's kind of looking at me like, just look past me. Just look past me. You don't know that one. That's a good one to learn. That's a, that's one of those important verses. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you look at that, that fits into what he was talking about. Who's going to go to heaven and bring Christ down? Who's going to go down into the abyss and bring him up? It's already there. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Some of them have, some writers have pointed out the difference here um, between the two, between the two verses. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. And they flip it like, okay. So it's interesting what people worry about to me. Like, okay, he's just saying sort of the same thing, but I think it points out one thing that's important. They go together. Like, you can't have one, you can't have salvation with one and not the other. You could confess with your mouth that the Lord in the Lord Jesus or the Lord Jesus, you confess him with your mouth, but if you haven't believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and all the things that go with that, then you're not saved, like, you know? Um, and, and then the emphasis in verse 10 then is because with the heart, one believes in the salvation. And it's with the heart. Um, one of the things I've been uh, listening to Lehman Strauss on the names of God in the Bible, and he spends a lot of time helping you when you read through the text seeing which, which Lord, which God it is, whether it's Elohim or Adonai, whatever, because it's all the type in the type. If it's all caps, it's um, Jehovah. And if it's capital with small letters, it's Adonai, which is master. Okay, pretty sure that's the way it went. Anyway, um, <clears throat> and so here it's master Jesus. It's you're going to be, the, he's the master, you're the slave. So you've got to believe in your heart. You want him as your Lord. And, and there's a lot of discussion and debate on that. What, can you be saved without wanting him to be your Lord? You know, and then how much Lord do you want him to be if you do want him to be Lord, you know? Um, and many would, you know, if you looked at a lot of people, they would never say that they were completely surrendered to the Lord, to their Lord. They would not, you know, I, I can't say that. I, I'm, I can say that with confidence, and that sounds a little bit like pride, but it's not. Um, but I, I'm not completely surrendered. I still, this slave still does what this slave wants to do more than he would be, more than he's happy with. You know? But, but that, that would be the thought. That would be the idea. Um, and even as we look at baptism and things where we see, you know, we were buried with him and risen again with him. It's a new life. Now we're slaves of God. And, and we had a lot of that back in Romans where whoever you yield your members to, uh, you're slaves to that. Whether it's 
the law, whether it's sin, whether it's God. You, you know, and you, do you want him to be your master? Well, I've been, like I said, I've been listening to the names and Lehman Strauss has been going around there and it, it's uncomfortable sometimes to think about. So how much do I want him to be my master? You know, and the last one I listened to is when um, <clears throat> if you liked your master and it was your sixth year and so you were to be let go, um, you could stay. You could say, but I love my master and my wife and my kids and all those things that I don't get to take with me unless I had brought them with me. Um, but I, and I want to stay. I want to stay. And then you know what he does? If you decide to stay, takes you to the doorpost or whatever, and he makes it so you can wear earrings in your ear. He pierces your ear with an awl. Okay, makes a nice hole there so it stays. Um, and that's a sign that you're his slave forever. You're not looking to be least let, let go. Um, and that's the example that Christ gave. There, I'm trying to think. See, I think of some of these things that come to as I'm speaking instead of when I was getting ready. can't remember where that's found. It's in... It's in Isaiah, I think, where it says, and he, pierced, he has pierced my ear. One of the ones about the Lord Jesus. There's five of them in there. And it's, he has pierced my ear. He doesn't want to be out of service of his father. He wants to always remain there. <clears throat> Do we have that same aspect? Or does the idea of getting our ear pierced and how much that might hurt deter us? You know, I think about some of those funny things that keep us from doing stuff. You know, I don't go, I don't swim because I'm afraid of the water. You know, it says, does it hurt? Well, actually it does. It, I can't breathe. If I'm afraid I'm going to be in water that's over my head, I can't breathe. And so, you know, it's not exactly a panic attack. I just tighten up like that because um, <clears throat> I've had one now. I know what those are like. There's, yeah, anyway, not a panic attack. It's just like tighten up. Um, <clears throat> but we see those things, but it, that's, pro that's to me the, really, the real challenge here as we get into this part of the chapter is, is it in your heart? Do you believe with your heart or do you believe with your head? In which case, maybe you need to examine your belief, your whatever. At the same time, we can quite confidently say that no one has been completely yielded to the Lord Jesus because of faith or whatever. They still, we still, because we're there, uh, we're back in chapter five or four or whatever of Romans, you know, the good that I would do, I can't do or I don't do. And all of those things as we look at it, well, that's six, seven, and eight. I remember now. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so where, where is your belief? You know, where is your belief? With the mouth, you confess. And many would say that's because... You've believed in your heart, you know? It's important to you. I mean, this is a poor example maybe, but I have found out the importance of histamine balance in your body. I'll tell you all about it. My, I will tell you with my mouth because I'm that excited and I'm sure it works because I'm already feeling so much better and it's been less than a week and it's, the change is amazing. I, and, and I think... 
boy, I have sometimes, or a lot of times even, for that matter, I'd have that, that a hard time being that excited about Jesus, you know? And it's like, why? Why is that? Why, why aren't I just as excited to talk about Jesus as I am about histamine intolerance, you know? One, one reason could be because Um, sorry, I looked at the clock and it's after 20 after and it's like, it can't be yet. <laughs> but part of it is, is because I've noticed a lot of benefit just really fast. A lot of things, it's amazing. All that stuff that I could tell you about. And I'm not necessarily always walking that close with the Lord where I would say, oh, but he's done this and this and this. I need to remind myself of the exercise I gave the, like staff at camp many times in the year. So what has the Lord done for you today? What has he done for you today? And you can only use kept me from doing or hitting or whatever once. The next day it has to be something else. And I felt confident in doing that because the Lord's always doing stuff for us. We just aren't looking for it. We're just not aware. We're not, we don't, can I say we don't care? We're taking it for granted, you know? We sang satisfied with thee, Lord Jesus, and sometimes that's the problem. I mean, I love the song, it's a great song. But sometimes we're satisfied, like, and we're just satisfied. Like, I don't need to move, I don't need to grow, I don't need to eat, I don't need to whatever, because I'm satisfied right now. Don't make me do anything, you know? And that can be a problem. We need to have that zeal for God. My favorite definition of zeal comes from, I think Keith Green or one of the writers that used to contribute to his last day's ministries newsletter. And zeal is love ablaze. I really like that, love on fire. You know, I love him that much that I'm just burning up to do whatever, you know? And do we have that? It's by faith. So we looked at, at all that. And 9 to 13, I guess I would, my title in my notes was the mechanics of salvation. You know, it's the mechanics. Not that it works. It's still almost as uh, amazing as electricity. You know, electricity is one of those things, at least for me. I know it's there. I know it works. I understand a little bit about how it works, you know. Mikey knows as much about electricity probably as I do. You know, you flip the switch and the lights go on. And if you touch those wires in the switch, it hurts because there's stuff going through them, even though you can't see it, you know, and, and that kind of thing. I always thought electricity is magic. And it just gets more and more magical the smaller it gets, you know, when you get into electronics and all those things. How does a little light-emitting diode give off so much stinking light? Really, you know, you remember back in the day, most of you, Hannah's at that line where maybe she doesn't remember incandescent bulbs, and you used to buy 60 watt and 70 watt and 100 watt and 120 watt, whatever, by how much light you wanted, you know? But you have to have the right kind of diode, but now you can get a diode, one light, roughly, (coughs) 
and a dimmer switch, if you have the right kind of light, and you can turn it up to get 120 or down to get 30, you know? And it works, and it, like how? I have a little flashlight. The batteries finally died in it three years later. Like, it's a, I mean, granted, it's a good one. It's a mag light, but it's got the little diodes in it. It takes three AAA batteries, and I left it on overnight more times than I want to think about, and it finally, the batteries died. I mean, like, and I've had that for years. Like, I'm amazed. I, I keep forgetting to ask Edie for more batteries because they're beside, they're in her nightstand. But, <laughs> but, you know, just that little, it's magical. How does it do that, you know? <clears throat> How does God save you by believing in your heart in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead? How does that? It's magical. But if we're that excited about it, I mean, look how excited I got about telling you what all the things I know about electricity. You know, if I do that with the Lord Jesus, tell you all the things I know, how amazing he is. That's the way it should be. You know, that should be the first thing. And then as we witness to others about him, because that's the one thing you realize that people can't argue about is your experience. So if you go from, you know what the Lord did for me today, they might say, well, are you sure it's the Lord? And you're going to say, yeah, I'm sure it's the Lord, and tell them all about it, you know? Because they can't argue with that. They can argue with whether the Bible really says whatever it is here, and they can argue about this over here. But they can't argue about your experience. So I challenge you all. I'm going to start again. i got to get back at this. What did the Lord do for you today? Every day you're going to tell your spouse, your brother, your dad, your mom, whatever, somebody, you're going to tell them what the Lord did for you today. What did he do for you today? I'm already looking forward to tomorrow because I got some tough things on the board for tomorrow, but I'm looking forward to saying, you know what he did? You won't believe what he did. And that's the way I think we should be in our lives. It's great that we're saved. It's great that the Gentiles can be saved. And the Jews are in the same boat now. He, he says that up at the beginning. doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek. This is how you get saved now. Believe in your heart that God raised them from there and confess with your mouth unto salvation. And those, that's where we're at. So let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's done all the work that he's the end of the law, he's the end of righteousness for us, and we just need to put our faith and our belief and our trust in him, and we need to tell people. So we thank you, Father, for this, and we pray that you'd help us as we go through the week. In Jesus' name, amen.